morning, people of the internet. You are listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank one minute at a time. I am your co-host, Hugh David. And I'm Dev. And on today's show, we're going to be looking at Minute 12. Uh, in this minute, we have uh, the last of the only sequence in which uh, Martin and Marcella are actually interacting face-to-face in this entire movie. Uh, which is sad because uh, it's a phenomenal dialogue and conversation that they have in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will take us through to um, Martin sitting down talking about himself to somebody who mm-hmm. we can be fairly confident is his psychiatrist, Dr. Oatman. <laughs> uh, with us today, we also have uh, David Forsyth joining us again. Hello. Welcome How back, David. Doing, yeah. Good to be here. Excellent. So, uh, minute 12, stop beginning with the line, it's in Detroit. <laughs> so, this is it. We are going to send the character off in the direction yes. where they want. This, this, uh, this dialogue this, uh, it's, is where it really diverges from the script as, as we have it from kind of some of the polishing that was done uh, before they, they went ahead and shot. And... Um, there are a couple of things that are a little bit different. It, the, that, uh, the fact that it's in Detroit, that it's back where his reunion was, kind of gets swallowed in my reading of the original script. Okay. Um, and I think that having that as like the bomb drop really adds to a level to this kind of reticence to go to his high school reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also that the uh, that slight outburst that martin has really gives some validity to the way that marcella behaves when she's physically around him versus when she's on the phone yeah yeah no it it, it, it it's that it, it's an interesting contrast as well because we were talking in the previous episode about uh visually how uh dana scully she looks um <laughs> and then here in this scene there's there's a, as you say the greater reticence and um talking last episode about that kind of phys- almost physical level of comedy going on in the way she uh, uh, approaches Martin and talks around him. And of course, she's wearing that jacket, which, you know, if you're working for Prince or Madonna, fine, probably works well. But I don't remember seeing very many of them, many of them in 97. <laughs> it's I, an interesting I, choice. We were we debated, do... David, sorry, in one, one early episode, okay. David, we debated whether or not it was the, the 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 choice of the wardrobe or the choice of Joan. <laughs> yeah, it, I would say it is a standout piece. Uh, I mean, she looks great in it, but uh, oh, yeah. but yeah, it's it's a. Um, but it, I mean, like the punctuation of when he calls her Sergeant Pepper, though, is 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 really. If you hadn't noticed it already, you notice it now, right? Like, yeah. and if you hadn't noticed that it's out of place and looks a little weird, you notice it now. You know, it mm-hmm. it's just a, a quick little jab, yeah. and it it's so well timed, right? Because it, it, the outburst that he has is right before that he calls her Sergeant Pepper, and so he he stands up and he knocks things over, and she gets a little wide eyed, and it looks like violence might occur, but then he settles, pokes fun at her. And then it all it all moves on, and it, it's it's a it's a great little split second of again developing their their characters while still being a great back and forth scene between two people who clearly really know each other very well. So yeah, 
Dev has some theories as to how they might have met, which are quite interesting. And our, our listeners may have heard them on some of the earlier episodes. But um, I quite like what, the one where he suggested that maybe they met through the, the military at oh, some point. Sure. Uh, which would explain her efficiency, you know, her facility with, um, you know, the 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 online the radio communications, the technology, but also her not understanding of the weaponry and what he needs, you know, almost quartermaster esque. Well, yeah. um, which I think is a, a a good one. I quite like that. No, I I hadn't thought about that at all, but that is a great theory that she was sort of a logistics officer of some sort that was you know in procurement or or just management of of personnel yeah. and whatnot yeah because i can't work out how you get into that line of work otherwise <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like the um the 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 uh secretary from uh oh gosh i'm struggling to remember the, the of better call saul where they like yes. just hire somebody from craigslist and it turns out she's good so they they keep bringing her on and bring her or he brings her over from another law firm or i think is what what happens but then they like it turns out she's pretty decent at you know, shady crime kind of type business. So yeah, yeah, it's, it doesn't, she doesn't strike us as that. She's got a very particular, very particular set of skills. Sorry. Yes. Couldn't resist. Yes. Um, I feel like they also change Martin's character quite a bit in this compared to the script as I read mm. it. Um, particularly right at the end of this scene, um, Marcella says, don't forget your identity. Martin says, see you next week. Martin stops short as he reaches the threshold. He holds up the envelope and stares a dagger through it. On his way out, over his shoulder, tell Dr. Oatman I'm on my way. Um, and that feels very, very different to how the end of this scene plays out, yes. where, you know, he kind of takes all of the things as she's handing them to him, like it's his mother handing him his packed lunch before he goes to school kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of, he goes all the way out and then rather abashedly comes like leans back into the office and is like, can you take care of the cat? Tell Dr. Oatman I'm on my way. Like, you know, mom, can you do all of these things for me? Because I'm, you know, running late or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, using her, using her as an actual PA. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and also, you know, almost that, that way that, you know, people have of kind of saying sorry without saying sorry, right? Being a little bit more demure about it, feeling bad for that outburst. Mm, sure. Yeah. And the fact that he, like once she gets on the path of saying like, you're going, here's the ticket, here's the dossier. And, you know, don't forget your, your uh, identity. I mean, there's no discussion of it anymore at that point. Like he's not like, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go. It doesn't fit my parameters for the mission. I don't want to do, I don't want to go to the reunion. That all just ends like, because it's, she's done it. It's booked. Mm. She's taking care of the details. So he's okay, mom, I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Very much so. It's, it's almost like an inverse version of those uh, influences we were talking about last episode about the, the noirish elements you know, whereas on the way out, they would give the secretary all the instructions and the things the secretary has to do. Yeah, the secretary's giving him everything. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's not a mid, I mean, yeah, it is, it's, it's not a complete reversal, but it is enough of one that there's that dynamic. She's back in charge again, isn't she, at this point? Yeah. And the, the, the bit of, like, there's a, a brief hesitation between when she gives him the plane ticket and the dossier yes. and having a little bit of back and forth. 
And then she's still got the identity in the way she says it to like, don't forget your identity. It's like, don't forget your lunch. You know, yep. that you would say to a kid on the way out the door. Exactly. So it, it really, I think they took a moment to punctuate that motherly sort of aspect of her right then as well. Yep. So it's, mm. it's not by accident for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can we speak about the dossier? Why is it okay. short crapped? Uh, I wrote, <laughs> I, I wrote a whole paragraph about this because I, I had similar questions, but I, I mean, it, it works as a great prop, I think, because you can plausibly say that it's sealed up because they want to make sure nobody accidentally seals it, right? Or no, nobody accidentally sees it, right? It, right? it might be something where plastic wrap is a strange choice, yes. But, um, you know, you'd want like a sealed yeah, heat seal something yeah. or another, right? Yep. But the, the fact that it's red and it's like sealed up like that, it makes it a great prop for what it's going to do for the rest of the movie, I yeah. think. But yeah, it, uh, it, it does, it does look a little strange here. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I also like the fact that it kind of suggests the importance of it, you know, and reduces yeah. the importance of the identity. The identity is in the, the classic brown paper, you know, envelope with the yeah. little metal twist. Yeah. And, 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 and whereas the, the actual dossier of the hit is, you know, blood red. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of is, a beat up a little bit too like it's yeah. like it's been through the mail like it like it has been shipped over or something like that and yeah. and uh you know couriered you know maybe maybe that's so they don't make sure that the courier doesn't see it like do all oh, yeah. assassination dossiers come like this you know who knows <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i mean i the thing is is it, what i realize is it's not even shrink wrapped and this is clearer when he actually eventually opens it yeah it's saran wrapped he's, yeah. he's they've, they've taken kitchen saran and wrapped this thing in kitchen saran i'm like that's I mean, the cheap it version it a look it gives a look i mean i guess it waterproofs it right if nothing yeah, else. yeah yeah sure yeah I mean, is this what we did before they had, you know, plastic rip-open FedEx envelopes? <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe. Would... Although those definitely exist in two years when The Matrix is made because uh, oh, yeah. Neo opens one of those right at the beginning of The Matrix, F right? First time I ever saw one of those was in Blade 2. Hmm. Um, and then the first time I, I used one in real life would be 2003, I think, in the UK. So, yeah, no, I definitely remember both. Uh, it, it was definitely a thing on the turn of the century because Bowfinger had it as well. It was a big deal in Bowfinger. I assume it's a sponsorship thing, but, you know, but it was also a funny yeah. joke as well about the whole, I just, you know, the day that it arrives on my lawn, I know I've made it as a producer, yeah. you know. And it I... shows how important I am. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, in, in Blade 2, it was uh, um, Norman Reedus's character ripping it open in the van and turning it. It turns out he's got a, a Krispy Kreme donuts have been sent to him for the 12, 12 pack <laughs> via FedEx. And now it's only, it took me, it was like five years later, I realized just how expensive that must have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh dear. But yeah, no, as you say, it's very, um, yeah. 1997 yeah. alongside the color facts, saran wrapped <laughs> envelopes. <laughs> yeah. Those few elements of this film that really do date it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, and um, I mean, as you said, the, the other thing is about the 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 power, um, the power uh, trade off, the, the the balance of power between Marcella and, and Martin is, of course, the um, the the moment he closes the door and she goes, yes! you know, and you're just like, oh, okay, fine. Now yeah, we yeah. know what you were, yeah. what was really going on here. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, she just completely deflates and it's just like. Pfft. 
Yeah, but and also then has she... to rewind it as soon as yeah, as he, soon he, as he the... comes back in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the fact that she was this, she was actually deliberately angling for this, you know, the whole, and also I think coming back to you, the what you were saying about the theory about how they met, I I feel like when she once he's had his blow up and she starts to be more adamant and sir, sir. You know, yeah. and she gets kind of so much more formal, but at the same time, she uses that kind of slightly overdone language the way the military do. You mm-hmm. know, when he says, "Would you consider them inflexible?" and she goes, "Sir, intractable." Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that sort of maybe cements the theory, your theory, quite nicely, really. And the it that that sort of unwind of her as as he leaves really kind of puts it into your head about how how much of this she has engineered, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, there, there may be people who were disappointed that he messed up that last job. And yes, they may be demanding that he make amends. But did she seek out a job that would get him to go to Detroit? You know, did did is she engineering him to, to be able to go to his reunion and engineering a way for him to not be able to refuse it? You know, to, to you know, how much, how much of this is, fate and circumstance because what does she say it's in the hand of the gods or something like that or something like that at some point and um and how much of it is is her doing right um and you know why is she so insistent that he goes to this to this reunion you know it is she sensing his burnout his Mm -hmm. sort of i mean she knows obviously where he's going next and you know we'll talk about that later but um and you know your contract killer who needs help who's messing up his jobs because he's he's burnt out who's questioning you know whatever it is that he's that he's questioning is she trying to do this to get their business back on track you know or is she concerned about him as a person it's all it's all wrapped up in that little like half second of 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 relief that she does i think it's great yeah yeah um should we speak quickly about the the very last scene of this minute? Um, mm-hmm. So right at the end, we cut to Martin basically looking at the viewer, right? The way the camera is positioned as he's mm-hmm. starting to open up to what is actually his psychiatrist, Dr. Oatman. Um, I found this a little interesting because most of the time uh, you're getting context shots between scenes uh, mm-hmm. to show where, where something's happening. We've seen that a lot with... Um, you know, him traveling around to the different hits that he's performing. Uh, and yet mm-hmm. this one, it just goes straight into it. And he's talking as if he's talking to the audience in mm-hmm. a, like a very different style that kind of, I think is once again, this growing effort to humanize him as a character more and more mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to reinforce the fact that the audience should relate to him. Um, mm-hmm. But it does leave you kind of, especially when we're looking at it a minute at a time and we don't see what happens next when it cuts to Dr. Oatman, it, it just leaves you with this sense that he's just kind of breaking that fourth wall. He's speaking to the audience suddenly um, and, and kind of giving you some insight into his own, his own feelings firsthand. Hmm. I also feel like this might be given what we we're saying about mom, giving him everything he needs to go. He's now he's going to dad hmm. <laughs> for some advice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I I sort of just viewed this as a like a gag, right? To to get into you know contract killer goes to the psychiatrist, like because we we know he's going to a doctor, yeah, and we don't really get any more details than that. And uh, so I 
I mean, it's kind of kind of funny to to think about um, in those circumstances. But yeah, I think um, the relationship of going from the mom to the dad is is a good it's a good transition as well. So yeah, that that's that's fun to think about. I mean, this was God. Uh, this is almost a precursor to a lot of other things that did the same kind of thing, right? Analyze yep. this, analyze that. Yep. The, yep. Um, the Sopranos. Yeah, yeah they're years later. Yeah, they're, they're all using this kind of relationship to humanize characters that should otherwise have audiences are going to have a tough time relating to. Oh, Analyze This was the same year as The Sopranos. Weird. Huh. Okay. I remember seeing one that year, not the other, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, it is funny, but it's, it, it, again, that, that, that strikes me as, as partly what we're saying about the throwback to the noir era. You know, the 50s is very much when you know, psychology in American film clearly comes into its own as a feature, either through the sort of greater depth of characterization or, you know, through actual characters and going to talk to psychiatrists and or psychologists and that whole, that whole kind of era of Freudianism uh in in cultural artifacts and media and i and i feel like yeah. that there's that nod there but then there's also i mean maybe i'm just being cynical here but i do feel like so a lot of american screenwriting is really is, is really about the characters they've drawn and often about what the writers know <laughs> And I sometimes feel like, oh yeah, okay, let's talk about psychiatry because you know, I, or psychologists because you know, I know I'm always seeing my shrink. You know, um, I don't know. That might be uh, being unfair on, on the original writers. Well, and there was clearly something in the in the zeitgeist there about yes. applying the the device of the psychiatric exposition uh, to tough guys who who wouldn't have been seen doing that before right i mean that's part of the the bit of this is that it's it's funny because a contract killer is going to a psychiatrist right and that part of the sopranos as well and the intrigue of us the audience wanting to hear the breakdown of what's going on in a mobster's head hear the breakdown Mm. of what's going on in in an assassin's head right like those kind of things are i don't want to say they're interesting but they're interesting you know Mm. it's uh it's a it's something that that I mean we all listen to our true crime podcasts now because we want to figure out what's going on in the head of the killer. I don't know why people do it. I don't. Do it. So it's I'm I'm just guessing here. But you know I, I think the fascination with the the interior of let's call them abnormal people. You know like people who do different things than than the mainstream yeah. is is interesting to people. So but yeah. Definitely was in the late nineties, anyway. So, yeah, no, yeah. it was. It was definitely a, a thing. Um, and I guess we'll uh, find out more about that that relationship and that insight in tomorrow's episode. Yeah. Fantastic! Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, um, this was minute twelve of the Gross Point Blank Minute Movies by Minute podcast, Debbie Radio seventy nine point five FM, featuring your hosts, co writers, and co producers, myself, Dev Sodiger. And Hugh David. Today's guest was David Forsyth. David, where can people find you on the internet? You can check out Edge of Tomorrow Minute for that podcast where we cover the movie Edge of Tomorrow one minute at a time, much like this. And we have a you know Facebook group and and uh, there was some there's probably some Instagram or something and all that junk too. So go 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 check it out.
Fantastic. Thank you. And you can find us at all good podcast players as well as YouTube, X, Spotify, all under the handle at Debbie Radio, D-E-B-I Radio, 1B1I, as well as on our website with the same name, DebbieRadio.com. So once again, for all of those, it's D-E-B-I Radio. You can also talk with us on the Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Sure was clear that all of this was new Concentrating hard like a little girl Smoking for the first time It wasn't a moment